Amen. Thank you, Kathy. I love those songs that make those declarations. No more tears, no more death. I just... Can you fathom eternity? I mean, how, how do you wrap your head around eternity? Does it just get to be too much and you can't, you have to stop because you can't think of a million years and, and it, you're not bored and you're not tired and there's no tears. Well, hallelujah. Um, tonight we're taking a break from the, um, the minor prophets. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, um, Endeavor into Psalm 27, the first six verses of it. It, re- it really grabbed my heart, this psalm, because of David's stance and declarations and his confidence that he has in, in the Almighty. You know, we, we, we read about David and we, we hear about David and we see him, but David was a combat vet. You know, and if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, I mean, you get some kind of idea what it's like in those days of fighting when there's just swords flying all over the place and arrows coming and and who knows what. And somehow you have confidence that you're you're protected through that. And that's why it says, you know, the arrow flies by. You know, I mean, there's stories of George Washington when he he was in battles in America that... He would ride on his horse and there'd be six bullet holes in his cape. The, the Native Americans th- said he, he's got the great spirit because he was just, they just couldn't, they couldn't touch him. And when you're in God's purpose, you're untouchable. You know, and that's what David's exclaiming here. That Psalm 27 is 14 verses long. We're going to endeavor to do one through six. Um. Some people think that it could actually have been two different psalms, verses 1 through 6 and then 7 through 14, and even speculation that 7 through 14 was written by somebody else. But David is definitely the author of 1 through 6, and that's what we're going to read tonight. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have, one thing I have desired of the Lord that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for in the hour of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high on a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a beautiful beginning to a psalm. Something gets lost in the translation in English. Because when the psalm was written in the Hebrew language, the first three verses increased numerically. So there were five words in the first verse. In the first 
and then six in the second and seven in the third. And seven, of course, we know in Hebrew numerology is the number of completion. So there's a perfection that we, that we miss in English in, in the Psalms. That these were poems and these were songs and they're written in that. So we have things in English like iambic pentameter and various things that when they translate over to maybe some other language, it might not make any sense whatsoever. So we miss a lot, unfortunately, in, in the English translation. But this, I love this psalm. It's a, it's, a, it's a cry for help and ultimate declaration and his belief in the greatness of God and the protection that God brings to his people who are faithful to him. I mean, like I go back to that battle, those battle scenes and like, I can't imagine that it's 10,000 men all swinging swords and, and, and David is a, is a combat vet of numerous battles like this. And he had gathered strong men about him. Let's go, let's go deal with these people. And they rode off to go deal with the people. I mean, think about the challenge in this day and age that we face, just dealing with simple little things. We're not, we're not going off somewhere where there's no cell phones, no ambulances, no hospitals to go fight somebody in a, on a field where there might not even be drinking water for 40 miles around. If David is a tested combat veteran. And I want to pull a little bit of his courage tonight for us. And I was drawn to this song because of the times we live in and the things that may be coming upon us in the, in the future. The America that we grew up in does not exist anymore. And there are global forces at work behind a lot of stuff going on and we know we can't trust the headlines of any newspapers or, or magazines. But we can trust this, God's word, 100% accurate, never fails. Now David says in the beginning of this, the Lord is my light and salvation. This is the first and only reference in the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures of God being light. It's, it sounds peculiar, but it's the only time that God is referred to as light in the, in the Old Testament. We go to the New Testament, it's filled with references to this. We, we cite, I cite John, for the first, gospel, first chapter of John's gospel in verses four through nine. In him was, was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Also later on in John's gospel, and there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that through him all might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. And then following, Jesus stands in front of the menorah in the temple and states, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus was the light. And David says, the Lord is my light. When David went out to meet the Philistines, 
as recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 21. And he was feeling faint. And the, and the mighty men around him stood and intervened for him because he was falling down. And it says in verse 17, But Abishai, the son of Zurah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. They're calling David the lamp of Israel. But David wouldn't take such credit ever. When we look at David's light, the light, the lamp that they were seeing from him is it's kind of like the moon doesn't moon gives off light, but it's not its own light. It's a reflection from the sunlight. Moses came down from the receiving the tabernacles and his face was glowing. Now whether it was a reflection from the occurrence with God that stayed on him for a long period of time. But this is what they're saying about David. You're the lamp of Israel. Also, you know, we, we all read about Peter, James, and John going up with Jesus to the mountaintop. And, Mount, and Jesus shone like the sun. And Elijah and Moses were with him. But if we, if we were to come around and look at from Jesus' point of view at John, Peter, and James, their faces were bathed in this light. This is the light I think they're referring to. Being in the presence of God, that, that glow that, that, that came. The Lord is my light. David says, the Lord is my salvation. And, and the word, the Hebrew word is yasha, meaning deliverance, rescue, safety, welfare, and victory. This is why David makes this proclamation, who shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of who shall I be afraid? And, and he makes this in one verse after another, so it's what they call a parallel statement. He's saying it twice to emphasize a point, that there is nothing, no one, that we should fear. So the question I pose tonight is if David feels this way, shouldn't we also feel this way? Is not the God of David our God? Is not he the same today, yesterday, and forever? How many times in our lives have we been spared? Maybe times we don't even know about that we caught a red light that we were frustrated on, but had we not caught that red light, something might have been down the road. You know, how many times did something just miss you or just whatever? In verse 2, he writes, When the wicked came against me to eat my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. And we all know in the gospel, when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, and they said, who do you seek? We seek Jesus. I am he. And they all fell down backwards. 
That wasn't enough for them. They got back up and he asked the question again and the same thing happened again. But this is the picture I get of this. They stumbled and fell. I know in my life, there were circumstances that came upon me that were inescapable. But somehow, they were circumvented. The things that I imagined, the worst things I imagined, never happened. Was this blind luck? Fate? Or was the hand of God upon me? Is the hand of God upon you? Were there incidents in your life where you shouldn't have escaped and you got out? But David takes these to heart and makes this proclamation and charges into battle with this attitude that he is completely indestructible because God's hand is upon him. I, I think of it as these, as, you know, there's been some pretty big storms in California, and, and these waves that knock piers over, well, well, that's happening, we're all standing in awe, but there's also these guys with surfboards that go, this is fantastic, and they jump in the water and they go out there. They're, they're like, David, they're fear, like, are you kidding me, you're going in the water? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be 12 feet away from the shore because it, the, the waves are so powerful. These guys are charging out there because they have this confidence. But their confidence is in their abilities. David's confidence was in God's ability. It's a powerful statement that he makes. Well, David thinks this is just luck, and I don't think we should either. We come to verse 3, and here come those extenuating circumstances again. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. And what is this confidence that David has. Where does it come from, this pure, unadulterated courage, serenity and security amidst an approaching army? And how do I get some of this? Because I want a pound or two or a quart or whatever it is. I want this in my life. I want this courage in my life that no matter what comes against me, I know that I serve the living God. And he's not... Sleeping, he doesn't slumber. He's not unaware of what's going on. In verse four, he writes, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Like I said, when I began, I was drawn to this psalm because of the times that we live in. Because we don't really know anything factually that's going on because you can't find the factual information anymore. And we could wake up any day, and I felt this from the, from the beginning of this year, we could wake up any day to, to images similar to what we saw with the World Trade Center on the news. Things that we just can't, can't fathom that it's happening. But where will our hearts be if that is the case? Will we be living in fear? Will we be driving down the local supermarket to pick up a couple extra cans of beans or, or 
batteries or extra water or where, where's our heart? Where's our trust? Where's our heart? And this is why I was drawn to this psalm because there's such confidence in what David writes. I want to have that same confidence. I want to know that the Lord is my rock, my shelter, my fortress. You know, David writes that, that God is his light, salvation is strength, and therefore he is also our Salvation, light, and strength. That confidence that he has, if you'll permit me to jump ahead 28 generations of humanity to Paul's letter to the Romans, in chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He is he who condemns. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, also makes intercession for us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Can I muster up some confidence in this promise that Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God Almighty, constantly making intercession for me? And who then shall I fear? What then shall I fear? Verse 4, David writes, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, the interesting thing is, there is no temple in Israel at this time. There's a tent. The Lord lives in a tent. Solomon's temple has yet to be built, there is no temple per se, temple. But where the Lord is, is a temple. And there's no protection in the fabric of a tent. But there's protection in the one who inhabits the tent. The ark rested in a tent. It was just cloth. Although the the original temple had structure, had might. You might have taken refuge in that. It had stone. It was was probably, if not the most, one of the most expensive buildings ever constructed on the planet. The cost is unfathomable if you take all the labor costs of 70,000 people over here doing that and all those people over here and the timbers and the gold. It's a phenomenally expensive structure that was built but it wasn't an impenetrable fortress. There is no such thing as an impenetrable fortress. Every empire that's ever created or built an impenetrable fortress has been destroyed. There's no such thing. So you can't hide in a building or concrete underground bunker. 
but you can hide in the Lord. That's what David's telling us. You know, in this noisy, fast-paced world we live in, can I have this same desire and focus that David has? It's available to us. You know, James writes, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. But I'm going to add to that, if I may, be a believer of the word. You have to be a believer of the word to be a doer of the word. So many people struggle. It's like, this is what it says. Well, I know, I know, I know. Well, it says it. It's God's word. It's eternal. It works. Well, I know, but uh, there is no but us. What is a but us? Their doubt. That's what James talks about. You doubt. And you're like a man looking in the mirror and walk away and forget what you looked at. But David put God's word inside him. He meditated on it. He knew God's word and he believed God's word. Which is why that day on that plane he stood up and said, who is this guy to insult our God? To walk on God's property? Okay, Goliath, you're going down. I'm going to cut your head off. You, you pipsqueak, you're going to cut my head off? Are you serious? And he did. What was that confidence that he had? While the entire army, including Jonathan, stood by in fear. But David writes, who then shall I be afraid of? Who shall I fear? Not Goliath. In Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. It's not a tabernacle, a building, a tent, a temple. It's his name. It's his presence. The attributes of God are so devastatingly powerful. Each one of them, each attribute of God is beyond our comprehension and they're all available to us. We serve him. Just his name is above every name that has ever been named. Who shall I fear? Who should I be afraid of? People in uniforms, people in mobs and numbers and what? People in the press? Who, who, who can cast that kind of fear in me? Only my doubts can enable that fear to grip me. And, and as we all stood in, in awe watching the towers fall down and burn and smoke and all that, we st- most of us were, we couldn't move. We couldn't think. We couldn't do anything. We were awestruck. I know I went through a pretty big earthquake in California and I, I was, it, it affected me. It was hard to sleep. It was hard to sleep because we had a thousand aftershocks. So it just kept shaking and shaking and shaking. And it's, it's just, I know what post-traumatic stress disorder is. I, I get it. You're just like waiting and waiting and waiting. Here it comes again. But David didn't suffer these things. He had this confidence to know. This is the confidence I want us to get out of this psalm. So when we leave here tonight, we're more confident in the Lord and his, in his desire to protect us. Verses five and six. For in the time of trouble, 
He shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. And he shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing the praises to the Lord. It's such an awesome declaration of God's power, his reach, his steadfastness to those who he calls his, to those who trust in him. The secret place, concealed and hidden, of his tabernacle. His tabernacle is a place of ultimate authority and power. And if God hides you there, who can discover you there? You ever hear the term hidden in plain sight? You can be hidden in plain sight because you're hidden by God. I mean, what protection could a tent offer against an invading army? Even Herod's temple was reduced to a pile of rubble. And like I said, every penetrable fortress has been destroyed. David talks about getting set up on a high rock and he could be referring to the Mesa of Masada which rises 1,400 feet above the the Dead Sea. It was actually the place where the, the last of the Jews who held out against the Romans took their last stand. And it took thousands of Romans two years to get them out of there and they didn't get them out of there when they they all took their own lives. But it was an invading army of two years to build a siege ramp to get up to Masada. And that's protection back in those days. That was protection. If you had the high ground, you, you had a distinct advantage. And that's what David talking about, being put up on a rock. It's an advantage to see what's going on and it's an advantage fighting position. But David's, David always brings us back to praise. He closes verse 6 with going to the temple to praise God with joy in his heart. Now, David never got to see the temple, never got to worship in the temple. Nor did David enjoy the, the blessings of the new covenant that we enjoy. that we have the ability to go boldly before the throne. In those days, only the high priest got to go into the Holy of Holies once a year, one day. But the priests who went in there risked their own lives because if they were unholy, if there was sin in them, they could die before a holy God. And they put bell tassels on their on the rope so they could hear him clinking around and they had a rope tied on him so they could pull him out. But that process of reverence that the high priest had to go into the Holy Holies, that's that same reverence we should have. We should never have a casual time with the Lord. We should know that we're going before a holy God. And reverence him. I think it's become very 
God has become very casual, like he's my friend. Jesus is my friend. You know, he walks around and we're arm in arm. And he might have been that way with a few of the disciples, but he's not that way with us. And when he comes back, as John in chapter 5 of Revelation, when he sees Jesus coming out as the lamb that was slain, he's in awe. He's not going, Jesus, it's me. He, he was in awe. Because Jesus has a new persona. He's not the humble guy walking around with a robe and a, and a staff. He's the lamb that was slain. I'm the only one that's worthy in heaven, the earth, and all, in all existence. He's the only one that is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll. And he reverences his father. So when we go before his father, we should have that same purpose that that high priest did, like fear and trembling. It says to go boldly, but I mean, imagine busting into the throne room of God. Hey God, I got a bone to pick with you. No, you're not going to do that. You're going to stand in complete awe of just his throne. Not even if he's there, just his throne is going to be so majestic. It would be beyond anything that we can visually describe. So when we enter in to that special place, which Kathy did by, by ushering us in with praise, we should be humble. We should be reverent. Our God is holy. He is powerful. And David had a unique relationship with God. But also remember David fell. But he still praised God. He confessed his sins in Psalm 51. He does it beautifully. He confessed his sin. And we should always do that. We should always be a point of confessing our sin before we go to the Lord. The Lord, I'm unclean. Like Isaiah, I'm, I'm, I'm undone. I'm unclean. But I love this psalm because of David's confidence. He just oozes out of it. This knowledge. God is on our side. Who can be against us? Who can we fear? And I think Paul ties it really well together in Romans 8. That same thought. God is for us, who could be against us? That's what David's saying here. Who shall I fear? And, and you think of a thousand Philistines and all in armor, battle clad, like, I'm not, I don't fear you. I don't fear you like I didn't fear Goliath. Because what you're doing is you're coming against the, my God and my God is able. And that's what I have tonight, Psalm 27. So Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord, that something that was written a couple thousand years ago can be so relevant today, Lord. We thank you for David's courage and his confidence and his, his poetic ability, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you called us to be here in this days, in this town, for such a time as this, Lord. So we look to you for our guidance and our strength and our security, Lord. And help us, Lord, to walk in that confidence that David had to know that a thousand may fall on one side and 10,000 on the other, Lord, that, that you, Lord, have your hand upon us for what you've called us to, Lord. And, and we're completely indestructible until you're done with us, Lord.
So Lord, incline your ears to our prayers, Lord, and our praise, Lord, that it might be a sweet aroma to your nostril, Lord, for we worship you, Lord, and we gather in your name, in Jesus' name, amen.